is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. Well, we're going to start out with our weekly commentary as we always do here every Sunday morning. And today we are going to talk about the fact that the labor market is not adding up. You know, on the surface, there's much to like about the job market. But when you get into the details, it's not quite as strong as some things don't add up. Here's what to like. The establishment survey answered by a sample of businesses showed that non-farm payrolls increased 353,000 in January, that easily beating the consensus expected of 185,000, the largest gain in a year and coming in higher than the forecast of every economics group that filed a forecast with Bloomberg. Meanwhile, payroll gains were revised up by 126,000 for November and December. That's bringing the net gain, including revisions, to 479,000. In the past year, payrolls were up 2.9 million, or 244,000 a month. You know, we like to follow payrolls excluding government because it's not the private sector. Education and health, because it rises for structural and demographic reasons, and usually doesn't decline even in recession years, and leisure and hospitality, which is still recovering from COVID and lockdowns. So the core measure of payrolls rose 194000 in January, which is the best month since mid-2022. That same payroll survey showed that average hourly earnings, that's cash earnings, excluding irregular bonuses and commissions and fringe benefits, rose six-tenths of one percent in January, and they were up four and a half percent versus a year ago. The Federal Reserve might not like that. The odds implied by the futures market that the Fed will cut rates by the end of May 1st meeting went down substantially. But It is good news for workers and means wage growth per hour is outstripping inflation. Meanwhile, the survey that samples U.S. households showed that an unemployment rate remained at 3.7%. But here are the details and figures that make us wary about just accepting all this good news at face value. First, the same payroll survey showing strong job growth is showing a concerning drop in the number of hours per worker. Workers in the private sector worked an average of 34.6 hours a week in January of 23. This January, they were down to 34.1 hours. Average weekly hours haven't been this low since March of 2020 with the onset of COVID. So as a result, even though total jobs are up 1.9% in the past year, total hours worked are up only up three-tenths of 1%. So let's put this in perspective. A three-tenths of 1% increase in private sector jobs in the last year would have meant private payrolls gains of 33000 per month, not the 194000 per month that we experienced. A three-tenths of 1% gain in jobs is what would have happened if businesses had hired workers to fill the extra hours that they needed but kept the number of hours per worker the same. Second, the household survey measure of employment hasn't been rising nearly as fast as payrolls which is something that has happened in the past prior to recessions. As we noted earlier, non-farm payrolls, which includes government workers, are up 244000 per month in the last year. But the household survey, smooth for recent population adjustments, is only up 101000 per month in the past year. That's a very large gap by historic standards. Another issue is the oddity of having payroll growth of 244000 a month in the past year while the unemployment rate has been so low. Since February of 2001, right before the 2001 recession, payrolls have grown at an average of 91000 a month. Since February of 2020, right before COVID, payrolls have grown at an average pace of 115000 per month. These longer-term averages make sense given a growing population in the context of an aging workforce. But how, then, can we have payroll growth so much faster in the past year, particularly when unemployment rate is already so low? Usually, job growth gets slower when the jobless rate is near bottom. One theory can explain this, however. 
And that is that the U.S. economy has been temporarily boosted by having the government run a larger budget deficit, including the effects of the CHIPS Act, Infrastructure Bill, and the Inflation Reduction Act. But that artificial boost should soon come to an end. And when it does, job growth should slow sharply as well. A strong job market is a good thing, but it doesn't mean a recession can't start soon. Payrolls are up 1.9% in the past year, but they were up the same in the year ending in January of 1990 and a recession started mid-year. They were up 1.3% in the year ending January 2001. A recession started in the spring of 2001. The flu starts when you're feeling good, and it's normal for a recession like the flu to come when the economy looks just fine. Take a look at our global wrap-up for the week. We found that China intervenes in order to support its stock market. Before that, we found that global equities were in record territory for the week. The yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury rose to 0.16 to 4.16, while the price of barrel West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil rose 4.25 to 76.40. And volatility, as measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, fell to 12.9 from 13.9 a week ago. Now, let's talk about that China markets. China ups its market stabilization efforts. China took additional steps to shore up investor confidence this week, including replacing the head of the country's securities regulator and intervening directly in equity markets via state asset managers. After domestic equity markets ended last week at their lowest level in five years, authorities announced that sovereign funds will increase their ETF holdings. After falling 6.3% in January, the CSI 300 index rose 5.8% this week. And Powell sees fewer cuts than the market. U.S. Federal Reserve Jerome Powell told 60 Minutes on Sunday that the central bank is unlikely to reach the level of confidence that inflation is headed substantially to its 2% target in time for its March meeting. He said he expects the Fed will cut about three times this year, consistent with the December summary of economic projections. The market has dialed back its rate cut expectations, but still has almost five quarter point cuts priced in by the end of the year, down from nearly seven a month ago. Newswires were awash in Fed speak this week, most officials suggesting that the central bank is in no hurry to adjust its policies. And the Congressional Budget Office projects rising debt ratio. The U.S. Congressional Budget Office projects that if the laws presently on the books remain unchanged, the nation's debt-to-GDP ratio will rise to 116% in 2034, and that's up from 99% in 2024. That means that our debt-to-budget is almost 100%, 99%, 100%. 99, 100, 100, 99, 116% in 2034. Hmm. Anyway, annual deficits are forecast to rise from $1.6 a year to $2.6 trillion over the coming decade due to higher spending on interest and social services. The CBO projects a 5.6% of GDP federal deficit budget for 2024. Those numbers are going to keep going up. So when I was talking earlier about what's happening with the employment picture and the fact that we had the CHIPS Act and the Infrastructure Bill and the Inflation Reduction Act all passed, that was all borrowed money. That was Nobody's paid for that. That was all borrowed money. It's all sitting on the Fed's balance sheet. It's all borrowed money. It's all borrowed money. Got to keep saying that. Remind you, it's all borrowed money. And we saw that the U.S. services sector rebounded in January, according to the Institute of Supply Managers Manufacturing Index. The index rose to 53.4 in January from 50.5 in December, with new orders sub-index rising to 55 from 52.8. However, a jump in the prices paid index to 64 from 56.7 was somewhat worrying. In the Eurozone, service sectors remained underwater, while the index for the United Kingdom saw an uptick to 54.3 from 53.4. And the Fed's quarterly senior loan officer's opinion survey was released this week and showed that the tightening of credit conditions moderated compared with the October survey when just 14.5% of banks reported tighter lending standards for commercial and industrial loans to large and medium firms. That was down from 33.9% three months ago and 18.6% for small firms, down from 30.4%. 
tightening in lending for mortgage and commercial real estate loans moderated as well. Dick Downey here with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back in a moment. Pack your bags. It's time for Fun in the Sun with Barron's Spring Break Getaway Giveaway. Any Barron purchase now through February 29th enters you for a chance to win. Whether it's a new comfort system, maintenance, or a tankless water heater, you could win a trip for four. Cabo, Hawaii, or cruising the Pacific. Picture yourself soaking up the rays with Barron's Spring Break Getaway Giveaway. And that's not all. Save up to $7,000 on an energy-efficient Daikin Fit Enhanced Heat Pump, providing year-round comfort that both heats and cools. Plus, it qualifies for the 25C tax credit. Or choose same-as-cash financing. Install today and pay nothing until next year. Every Barron purchase could be your ticket to a dream destination in Barron's Spring Break Getaway Giveaway all February. And Barron's Silver Shield members get 10 extra entries. Not a member? Sign up today. Don't wait for that ship to sail. Call now. Barron, your full-service HVAC, electrical, and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. No purchase necessary. Visit BarronHeating.com for details. When you buy a Subaru from Dewey Griffin, you're buying more than a vehicle. You're buying safety for your family, an investment that will hold its value, and reliability that will last a long, long time. Simply put, you're buying trust. Stop into Dewey Griffin Subaru and find out how you can get up to 1.9% APR financing on select new 2024 Subaru Outback models. Dewey has a huge inventory of new Subarus, from the 8-passenger Ascent to the Outback and Forester to the Impreza and the all-new Crosstrek. A Subaru from Dewey Griffin will get you and your family where you need to go safely. And when you purchase a Subaru from Dewey, you'll be supporting a local dealership that supports our local community. Need service? Dewey's Express Service Centers open six days a week. Stop in for your next oil change or any other minor maintenance, and you'll get a free car wash with any service. Dewey Griffin Subaru. Community-minded, community-driven, and the only Subaru-certified tire and service center in Whatcom County. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway, 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And I'm sitting back in my office. I record Sunday's show here in the office every Saturday afternoon. And it's freshly painted with new carpets and new hallway tile. We've been busy along with our transition back to LPL and now we've been going in and realigning all of our investment portfolios, uh, making changes almost 100% and moving, selling every asset we had and realigning them. So we've gone through that process, remodeling the office. So we've been busy. We'll put one more plug in here for the Walker County Farm Forestry Association having their annual tree sale. And you can go online and order trees. They're a buck and a quarter each. There's no minimum. And you go online at wafarmforestry.com backslash Wacom. That's wafarmforestry.com backslash Wacom. And you can pick your trees up at the Linden Fairground from 10 to noon on the 16th of March. That's on a Saturday. They got a big cross-section of different trees, but they do sell out. So uh, really good deal, buck and a quarter a piece. Go online, order some trees. Okay, well, continuing on with the global roundup this week, we saw the Bank of Canada's Governor Tiff Macklin said Tuesday that progress towards the Bank of Canada's 2% inflation target is likely to slow. He said policymakers would like to see downward momentum on the underlying inflation before considering rate cuts. Macklin expects growth in Canada to remain stalled until mid-2024. And the U.S. Treasury auctioned $221 billions of 3-, 10-, and 30-year bonds this week. The latter two maturities were record-setting in size. All three issues were well-received by the market. And the Bank of Japan Governor Keizo Yuba said that financial conditions in Japan are likely to remain easy even though the Bank of Japan ends its negative interest rate policy, suggesting a rapid tightening cycle is unlikely. 
In testifying on Capitol Hill, U.S. Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen said that she has concerns about commercial real estate, but that the regulators are working to ensure loan loss reserves and liquidity levels are adequate to cope with the stress. Richmond Federal Reserve Bank President Thomas Barkin said Thursday that the commercial real estate problems of regional banks won't be enough to get the Fed to cut rates early. And European Central Bank Chief Economist Philip Lane said Thursday that the disinflationary trend in the Eurozone is accelerating, but that the ECB must balance the risk of over-tightening with that of moving too soon to lower rates. Like the Fed, Lane said that the ECB needs to see further disinflation to be sure that inflation readings are on a path to the central bank's 2% target. And deflation in China worsened in January as consumer prices fell 8 tenths of 1% year over year and producer prices dropped 2.5%. And industrial production in Germany declined for a seventh straight month in December, falling 1.6% from the month before. Total household debt in the United States grew by 1% in the fourth quarter of 23 to a record $17.5 trillion. That's according to the New York Fed that they reported on Tuesday. Fed researchers found that with pandemic policy supports in the rearview mirror, delinquency rates for most credit types have been rising after having reached very low levels during 2021. The increasing transition rates merit monitoring in the months ahead, particularly with the amplified distress shown by borrowers in lower-income areas. And the S&P 500 index closed at a record high, surpassing 5,000 this week. The NASDAQ 100 and the Morgan Stanley World Index also closed at record highs, while Germany's DAX hit index high, a new record high on Tuesday. The Canadian economy added 37,300 jobs in January as the unemployment rate fell a tenth of 1% to 5.7%, and annual revisions to the U.S. Consumer Price Index were released on Friday. And while the adjustments were modest, overall, month-to-month, Reading for December was revised to 0.2% from 0.3%. The special counsel found that while U.S. President Joe Biden was a little crazy, that he was careless in handling of classified materials after his term of vice president ended. These actions did not merit criminal charges. And the Reserve Bank of Australia held rates steady this week at 4.35%, but said future rate hikes cannot be ruled out. And in earnings news, with just 67% of the constituents of the S&P 500 having reported for the fourth quarter of 23, blended earnings per share, which combines reported data with estimates of those who have yet to report, shows that earnings rose 2.75% compared with the same quarter a year ago, according to data from FactSet. Sales growth is up 3.8% year over year. Let's take a little bit more in-depth looking at that January ISM non-manufacturing index report that I mentioned. And there's no sign of a recession yet in the service sector. Services activity continued expanding in January and the rate of growth accelerated. The headline index rose to 53.4 in January, beating even the most optimistic forecast from any economics group on Bloomberg. The increase in the overall rate of growth is partially attributable to faster growth in new orders, while the index rising at a solid 55. Meanwhile, the business activity index remained at 55.8. Movement in the employment index is also responsible for the overall increase, where hiring activity managed to eke out small gain after contracting sharply in December. Employment comments continue to signal that a lack of supply, not demand, has been the problem for hiring in the service sector as companies deal with a highly competitive market due to increasing wages and turnover. Meanwhile, the index for supplier deliveries broke back into expansion territory in January, signaling longer delivery times after remaining in contraction territory each of the three months prior. Survey comments reveal the increase likely that it has to do with the conflict in the Red Sea as transportation impacts are felt through the Suez Canal. This can also be seen in the prices index, which rose to an elevated 64 in January, although that is below the backbreaking pace from 21 and 22. Make no mistake, prices are still rising and inflation remains a problem in the service sector. And when you contrast the details of this report, with the January ISM report on the manufacturing sector where activity was contracted 15 consecutive months and just four industries reported growth in January, 
there has already been a divergence in activity. The service sector has a lifeline for the U.S. economy in 23. So what do we expect in the year ahead? We expect an eventual weakening as the impact of the recent reductions in M2 measure of the money supply make their way through the economy. We continue to believe that a recession is on the way. Investors should remain vigilant as we navigate these unprecedented times. And the December International Trade Report also came out this week, and the trade deficit in goods and services grew to $62.2 billion in December as imports rose faster than exports. However, we prefer to focus on total trade volume of trade, imports plus exports, as it shows the extent of business and consumer interaction across the U.S. border. This measure rebounded in December after pulling back significantly in November, rising by $8.2 billion. Total trade volume is up slight 1.2% from a year ago, with exports up 3.2% versus a year ago, while imports are down 4 tenths of 1%, consistent with our forecast that the U.S. is headed in toward a recession. While a recent surge in federal budget deficit might have helped the U.S. economy avoid recession in the short term, this kind of artificial support can't last. Notably, there is a major shift going on in the pattern of U.S. trade. For all of 2023, imports from China were down 20.3% versus 22. China used to be our top exporter to the U.S. Now the top spot is held by Mexico, where exports from Mexico were up 4.6% in 23 versus 22. China has fallen to number two, with Canada nipping at its heels. Meanwhile, daily freight fell rapidly in 23, was back down to pre-COVID levels or lower, as demand for shipping stabilized. This is confirmed by the New York Fed's Global Supply Chain Pressure Index in December, with the index moving back into negative territory, but it sits just 0.15 standard deviations below the index's historical average. For some perspective, two years ago in the month of December, the index sat at 4.34% standard deviations, above the index's historical average. Expect some temporary volatility into the new year, though, as Yemen's Houthi rebels continue to deter container ships from transporting the Red Sea, temporarily adding significantly to shipping costs. Also, the U.S. dollar, the value of U.S. petroleum exports, exceeded imports once again. This marks the 22nd consecutive month of the U.S. being a net exporter of petroleum products. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up. We'll be back shortly. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city. But sometimes, things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Breaking news, Bellingham. KGMI.com is now MyBellinghamNow.com. You don't have to change a thing if you already rely on KGMI.com to stay in touch with KGMI and your community. We're committed to keeping you informed with the latest unbiased news, and we're committed to keeping it completely free. No subscription, no commitment, no cost. MyBellinghamNow.com. Hi, I'm Tom Connors. Went to Mark Patrick's hypnosis seminar, February 6, 2019. Nothing worked before. Left there and never smoked again. Amazing. Easy, affordable, and guaranteed. A year later, with my wife, Michelle, attended Mark Patrick's weight loss seminar. She lost 18 pounds, and I lost 43 in eight weeks. It's true. He smoked two packs a day, and nothing worked until Mark Patrick hypnosis. Now we're losing weight together, eating healthy, full on half the food, Crazy. Enjoying exercising? Who would have believed Mark Patrick hypnosis really works? It's amazing. I can breathe again, my blood pressure went down, and I've got so much energy. So much energy. And look great. Stop smoking, lose weight now, or your money back. Early bird special only $49.99. Join Mark Patrick's hypnosis seminar Friday, February 23rd at Holiday Inn and Sweets Bellingham. Weight loss seminar 5.30 p.m. with registration at 5. Stop smoking seminar 8 p.m. Learn more at markpatrickseminars.com. The snow is dubbing in the mountains and foothills, which means it's time to gear up for winter fun. 
When it comes to outdoor play in the wintertime, nobody beats Mount Baker Motorsports in Bellingham. They're your authorized Arctic Cat snowmobile and off-road dealer and have everything you need for your adventures. Mount Baker Motorsports offers an extensive parts and accessories department, apparel for the winter riding season, and a service team for all repairs and upgrades to your existing sleds. Are you working outside during the cold and snowy season? Mount Baker Motorsports has you covered. They have an extensive selection of ATVs and side-by-sides that can be fitted with snow plows, cabin closures, and heater systems to ensure that you can get the job done. Stop by and visit Mount Baker Motorsports today at the corner of Woburn and Iowa in Bellingham or check them out online at mountbakermoto.com. Mount Baker Motorsports, Whatcom County's premier power sports dealer featuring Arctic Cat, Kawasaki, KTM, CF Moto, Husqvarna, and Gas Gas. Pizza's here. Oh, great. I'd love some, but I'm worried about my stomach issues. If you're worried about having diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, or loose oily stools, it may not just be stomach issues. It could be a condition called exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI. With EPI, the pancreas doesn't release enough enzymes to break down food, but EPI is manageable. Use the symptom checker on identifyepi.com and talk to your doctor. That's identifyepi.com. Sponsored by AbbVie. As a mom, comforting my family is what I do best. Vicks Vapo Stick provides soothing, non-medicated Vicks Vapors in an easy-to-apply stick. And it dries fast, so there's no mess. I use it to comfort myself <sighs> and my family. <sighs> Thanks, Mom. Vicks Vapo Stick, soothing comfort for the whole family. And when you need more comfort for yourself, try Vicks Vapo Shower for steamy Vicks Vapors. Use as directed. Vapo Stick for use ages 4 and up. Vapo Shower use for adults only. Hey, at our startup, my team and I move at the speed of tech 24-7. And every single day, it's information overload. It's coming at me from all directions. And you know what? Bottom line, I just need the news that matters. So where do I turn? Local radio and TV. I want to hear from people who live and work in my town. They give me the real story with information I know I can rely on. So where else can I find out what's happening in my community? weather and traffic, things that affect my family and my business. I want to stay informed by sources I trust, my local radio and TV stations, for the best entertainment, sports, news, traffic, and weather with no agenda and more reliable than other platforms. So if you ask me for the information I want anytime, anywhere, I stay local. Support your local station. Text RADIO to 52886 today. Furnished by the NAB and this station. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. No gimmicks, just the highest quality systems. 0% interest financing and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Rely on West Mechanical heating, air conditioning, and electrical. Contact them today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and MyBellinghamNow.com. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donnelly here with you this Sunday morning. Okay, well, kind of interesting thing here. I'm sorry, finding a... Why buying a car is more expensive than ever? You know, the cost of car ownership in the U.S. surged after COVID shut down assembly lines and made vital semiconductors scarce. Then the Federal Reserve rapidly raised interest rates to combat high inflation, making car loans even more pricey. As a result, in December, the average sticker price for a new car was $48,759 in the United States, or a near record $770 a month to pay off over time, according to researcher Cox Automotive. The sticker price was almost 30% higher than January of 2019. Pent-up demand left over from the pandemic is keeping sticker prices high, even as factory production has returned to full strength. Used car prices are also elevated as inventory remains low. I'm also going to give talk here in a minute about the cheapest and longest lasting cars. So let's look at some of these things that are impacting us. So one is how have U.S. cars price changed? For more than a decade before the pandemic, with supply and demand in sync, and with interest rates super low, the average monthly payment bumped along at about $400. By December of 22, almost two years into the COVID pandemic, 
the number had almost doubled to a record $788 a month. New car prices have come down from a peak of more than 50000 but higher interest. The Fed started raising rates in March of 22, has kept monthly payments high. Used cars aren't much better, with an average monthly bill of $561 in November, according to auto researcher Edmonds. That's up 37% from $410 in late 2019. And the average cost of owning and operating a new car in 2023, including fuel, maintenance, and insurance, was $12,182, or $1,015 monthly, according to the AAA. That's up about 14% from $10,728, or $894 in 22. So even with high prices, new vehicle sales rose 13% in December, compared with a year earlier, up to 1.4 million vehicles. So why have car prices risen? Although car prices have declined slightly from their peak, loan interest has made up much of the difference. The average rate for a new car is about 9.6%, according to Cox. That's up from 5.5% in late 2019. And the rate for used vehicle is 14.3%, compared with 8.2% in late 2019. That's left many Americans struggling to afford their monthly bills. The proportion of subprime auto borrowers in the last 60 days past due on their loans rose to 6.11% in September. That's the highest in data going back to 1994, according to Fitch Ratings. And many car owners are now underwater on their loans, which occurs when the market value of a car falls faster than the owner can pay down the loan for it. In November, Americans with negative equity were underwater by an average of $6,054, the most since April 2020, and well above pre-pandemic averages. Number three, is the auto supply chain back to normal? Well, the supply chain holdups and global semiconductor shortage have crippled car manufacturing and put up prices, prices have somewhat subsided. But car companies have been slow to replenish their inventories, not least because of elevated prices help them notch big profits. The, in December, car dealers were holding about 70 days worth of inventory, according to Cox. That's close to a historical average and, and enough to spur incentives to equal a 5% discount from sticker prices, about double the year-ago discount, Cox said. But automakers raised prices so much over the past few years that cars are still about $10,000 costlier now on average than they were in 2019. Talking about that supply chain issue, um, I was uh, uh, caught up in the middle of that. I ordered a new diesel Tahoe back in, in uh, March of 21, and I finally took delivery on it here last November, so over two and a half years for it to get that. So what about used cars? The pandemic scrambled the supply and demand in the used car market. The supply of used cars plummeted as few, fewer people bought new cars and traded in their old ones. At the same time, demand soared from consumer flush with cash from government stimulus checks. It was a perfect storm that allowed some people to even sell their cars for a profit. Although prices have declined from their peak, they are still headwinds like the disruption in parts production from the United Auto Workers strike last fall. The average used car price at the end of November was $26,091. That is down $1,065 from a year earlier, but still $6,000 more than it was at the end of 2019. And of course, then there's that question about what's going on with electric vehicles. Americans are growing wary of electric because of their high prices. The batteries that power EVs are more expensive than internal combustion engines. So consumers often have to shell out more to get an eco-friendly car. For instance, a Ford F-150 Lightning EV starts at about $50,000 before federal tax credits of $7,500. But a base model gasoline-powered version starts at less than $37,000. So Tesla has tried to cut prices to stoke demand, but those discounts are eating into its bottom line. EV prices have come down, but still cost an average of almost $51,000, which is about $3,000 more than an internal bus combustion vehicles. And the bigger problem is variety. 
Today, the Nissan Leaf is the only EV that sells for less than $40,000. Many conventional models sell under that price. At least for now, electric vehicles are potting up in lots, with inventories at U.S. dealers reaching a high of 130 days in December, compared with 69 days for internal combustion vehicles. And number six, any signs that things might improve? Well, relief is in sight, according to Cox. New car inventory is slowly returning to its normal levels, which means the market for new and used cars should become less of a seller's market in 2024. But prices need to fall a long way, with high interest rates still making payments costly. The Fed expects to lower interest rates in 2024, which would help make owning a car more affordable. And I saw a companion piece come out this week talking about the cheapest and longest-lasting cars. I thought this might be a nice add-on to this. And basically, the low purchase price combined with life's long lifespan is a key in getting the most out of car buying budget. So here are the top 10 best cars for budget-minded buyers. On average, a new car costs about $2,779 for every 10,000 miles of lifespan it provides, according to research site IC Cars. But the cars on this list cost less than $1,700 per 10,000 miles. That's cars on the list that I'm going to talk about. IC Cars analyzed the prices of over 8.3 million new cars sold in September through December of 23, and the odometer readings of over 181 million used cars from a study of which cars potentially last the longest to determine the best new cars for the money. So here are the top 10. Number one was a Mitsubishi Mirage. Price per 10,000 miles, about $1,099. Average car price, just short of $19,000. Average lifespan in miles, 173000 Number two was Toyota Corolla. Price per 10,000 miles, $1,374. Average new car price, a little over $25,000. And lifespan, a little over $182,000. Number three was the Subaru Impreza. Light price per 10,000 miles, about $1,409. Average car price, almost $28,000. And average life span in miles, $197,000 plus. And there's the Honda Accord. Price per 10,000 miles, about $1,432. Average new car price, a little over $30,000. Average lifespan, over, or mileage lifespan, over 200, almost $212,000. Honda Civic, right behind it at number five. Price for 10,000 miles, $1,531. Average car price, about $28,600. Average lifestyle, about 187,000 miles. Number six was the Toyota Camry. Price per 10,000 miles, just short of $1,600. Average new car price, just short of $32,000. And lifestyle miles, a little over $201,000. The Nissan Versa. Price per 10,000 miles, just short of $1,600. Average new car price, about $20,600. Average lifespan, 129,000 miles. The Honda, number eight, CRV. Price per 10,000 miles, about $1,617. Average new car price, $35,500. Average lifespan of miles, over $219,000. The Mazda, number nine, Mazda three. That price per 10,000 miles, $1,644. Average new car price, $30,200 plus. Average lifespan in miles, $184,000. And number 10 on this list was the Toyota Prius. Price per 10,000 miles, $1,683. Average new car price, $35,000 plus. Average lifespan in miles, about $210,000. Kind of interesting. I didn't say any GMs. There are no Fords. There's no Jeeps. Hmm. Just keeps kind of coming back at us. Anyway, some ideas there. Buying a new car. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks for being with us. Mattress shopping. Oh, where do you start? Soft or firm? Foam or spring? Box or base? Who's got the best price? <sighs> okay, take a deep breath. Start at DeWard and Bodie. They keep it simple, really simple. Test out mattresses, find the one you like, get it delivered to your home for free. They've created comfortable showrooms where any person can lie down and test out lots of different mattresses. When you find yours, their professional delivery team will bring it to your home, set it up, and recycle the old one. It's that simple. 
Plus, you can take your mattress home today, paying no money down with interest-free financing. A lot of mattress stores have come and gone from this community, but DeWard & Bodie has been the premier mattress retailer in Whatcom and Skagit counties for over 20 years. Upgrade your mattress with the company you trust. DeWard & Bodie, they'll match any local price. They make financing a breeze and deliver for free. See for yourself how DeWard & Bodie makes mattress shopping simple at their mattress showroom in Bellingham. This winter weather seems like it's never going to leave at this rate. But your dreams of sticking your feet in sandy shores and soaking up the sunshine is actually a lot closer than you think. Hi, I'm Deanna Harrelock, inviting you to join me and Bel Air Tours for KGMI's Cape Cod and the Islands Tour, June 1st through the 7th. We'll explore life along the New England coast, complete with a traditional New England lobster dinner. Summer travel season is already heating up. Save your spot on the beach and learn more at MyBellinghamNow.com. Did you know you can call or go online for small business advice? SCORE, Mentors to America Small Business, is the best source of free and confidential small business advice to help you build your business from idea to startup to success. SCORE volunteer mentors work with you to help you start a small business or take your existing business to new heights. If you would like free face-to-face mentoring to answer your business questions, contact a local SCORE mentor by visiting SCORE.org and then set your location to Bellingham. It's that simple. That's SCORE.org. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick down on you this Sunday morning. As always, if you've got questions for me, give me a call. 360-733-1200. Check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Hey, I'm going to talk about something a little different here that uh, a lot of people may not be aware of. And basically, we're going to talk about what's a mortgage recast. You know, you may be one of the people who have never heard of mortgage recast, but it could be a helpful financial tool. You know, suppose you've received an inheritance, but it isn't enough to pay off your whole mortgage. Is there a way for you to put this lump sum toward the mortgage and lower their payment without refinancing? Maybe. Because mortgage recast is when they reamortize the loan. Your interest rate and remaining term of the loan stays the same. So if you have a 15-year 3% mortgage and they recast it, you still got a 15-year 3% mortgage. But if your loan balance is lower, then your payments are lower. So we'll spend some more time talking about this. The mortgage company that alters the amortization schedule, applying the lump sum to the balance. Then they're adjusting the payment to reflect an amount that pays it off over the remaining mortgage term using the same interest rate that you had before. They're just taking those extra payments that you've made, applying them to the balance, and then recasting that mortgage over the remaining term of the loan using the same interest rate and payment schedule. This differs from refinancing. When you refinance, you have a new loan at the then current interest rates with additional fees. But with a recast, you have the same mortgage you've always had. It's just a lower remaining balance, and they're recasting the loan over the remaining time frame. You know, there are many advantages to a recast, such as it allows you to keep your current interest rate, which is going to be an advantage, especially currently, if you have a low interest rate. It doesn't require a closing process, and thousands of dollars that tend to go along with that or restart the clock on a mortgage's duration. But those with locked-in low mortgage rates, it can allow you to lower your payment without losing the benefit of the lower rate. It also, for example, can help you remove the private mortgage insurance, or PMI. You know, if you don't have 20% down payment when you started, therefore you have to pay the PMI on your loan. But if you recast the point of having at least 20% paid, then you have removed the extra cost of PMI. Lastly, there are no refinancing fees or closing costs, only a small processing fee, anywhere from maybe $100 to $500, depending on the lender. You know, I recommend a recast when someone is buying or financing a new home before their old home sells. In these situations, we've had people who have been able to get a mortgage on their new house that they're buying, then sell their old house. And once they got the lump sum of the prior property, they're able to apply it to the mortgage of the new property and then recast that mortgage to keep their payment lower. So there's been a very successful use of that strategy. But recast when an inheritance is also an option. 
or other lump sum comes in, like such as deferred comp payout, and there's not enough money to pay it off, but enough that your recast would make your lower payment free, free and free up cash flow, or perhaps a financial independence retire early, or what we call fire move, movement person who has been making extra payments now wants to free up monthly cash flow, and maybe they change jobs or retired. Another case would be someone receiving an inheritance or a big deferred comp payout. If they're working for a deferred comp plan and it has all set to pay out as a lump sum at retirement, then you may have enough cash to dent in that remaining mortgage balance, but not enough to pay it off completely. They would use the recast again to pay down the principal and then have a much lower payment going forward on the remainder of their loan. The other situation would be where someone who has part of that the fire movement. Many of those people are paying extra on their mortgage as they go along. They may have been trying to get it paid off early and perhaps there was a change in strategy or they lost a job or now they're sitting here going, how do I lower my monthly ongoing expenses? That could be a reason to recast, again, if the mortgage allows it. However, the FHA, VA, and USDA loans will not allow recast. Some companies will recast with large principal payments being made. Although we wish you could get a guaranteed recast for your loan, you have to check with your lender and see if your particular mortgage allows it. For example, some banks would recast at any time you paid 10k or more on their principal. Others may allow only a one recast over the life of the loan, and they often must be for at least six months after the loan origination. Though this is just a brief overview of what a mortgage recast is, I hope maybe it's some useful information. We wanted just to get a general overview of the topic, realizing that a lot of people have never heard of a recast and never considered that this is part of their financial plan. But it's something to keep in mind if that opportunity comes along, something for you to talk to your lender, something for you to consider. You know, if you, sometimes we find people in a situation where they've got two different retirement plans, and what contribution limits do they have, and what, what applies when you have two plans? Well, the start of the new year is a good time for a refresher course on contribution limits that apply when someone is in two different retirement plans at the same time or different times within the same year, i.e. they change jobs. The rules are challenging because there are two different contribution limits to worry about, the elective deferral limit and the overall contribution limit. So let's talk about the elective deferral limit first. The elective deferral limit is the maximum amount that an employee can defer in any one calendar year. The limit is based on a total pre-tax and Roth contribution to all 401k, 403b, and simple plans, but not 457 plans. So if you have a government 457 or healthcare 457, or like teachers, educators, state employees, public employees, for a lot of them have got 457 plans. Those are separate. Deferrals to all plans are aggregated, even if the plans are sponsored by companies considered unrelated under the tax rules. 2024, the deferral limit is $23,000, or if you're over age 50, it's $30,500. That's the total. So let's take an example here. Kyle, 48, has a regular job with General Hospital, sponsors a 403B. He also has a sole 401k from his landscaping side business. The most that Kyle can defer between the two plans in 2024 because he's under age 50 is $23,000. It doesn't matter that General Hospital and the landscaping company are unrelated business. There are also two important exceptions to this rule. Traditional non-Roth after-tax contributions, if allowed by the plan, don't count towards the $23,000 or the $30,500 deferral limit, although they do count towards the overall contribution limit. And then those 457 plans, they have an, their own separate limit. This can be a windfall for employees like hospital executives, high-paying medical staff, government workers, etc., where they have both a 457 and a 401k or a 403b. They could defer up to the maximum deferral limit in each plan. So in this case, $23,000 in each plan, $30,500 in each plan, worth taking a thought about. Keep in mind your overall contribution limit is sometimes referred to as your annual additions limit or 415 limit. This limit is the maximum amount of all contributions that can be made to a plan and or for employees in any year. Both the employee's own contributions, pre-tax, Roth, and after-tax, non-Roth, and the employer's contributions, matching or non-elective across the board, are counted. 
So for 2024, the overall contribution limit is $69,000. That's up from $76,500. So again, you have to also keep in mind the total contribution limits that are there, including employer match, etc. And again, up to $76,500 if you're age over age 50. There are also special aggregation rules that apply. Generally, contributions made in two plans sponsored by the same company or different business are considered as one by the IRS. They are combined for the overall limit. Aggregation doesn't apply if one of the plans is that 457 plan. It's called deferred comp, typically. Usually doesn't apply when two plans are a 401k and a 403b. So the 457 is separate. But if someone has two plans maintained by separate companies, contributions generally aren't combined, and the employee gets the benefit of a separate overall limit for each plan. Aggregation does not apply if both plans are 403B plans. I'll give you a second example. General Hospital and Kyle's Landscaping Business, for example, are considered unrelated businesses. So for 2024, he has a separate overall limit of 403B and 401k plan. Could theoretically receive a total of 138,000, 69,000 by nine in combined contributions, although practically that would be difficult to achieve. Kyle's combined pre-tax and Roth contributions to the plans are still going to be limited to his only being able to put away that 23000 So uh, the matching money and the other things can add up and, and boost it up there, but you still have a limit on how much you can put in. And so you need to be aware of those limits and not exceed them. And again, you know, if you've got questions on these kind of things, we're always happy to try to answer them for you. You can always give us a call. Our number here, of course, is 360-733-1200. I want to thank you for being with us this Sunday and also invite you to listen to our live show next Saturday at 11 a.m. As always, got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. Thanks and have a great week. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.